It's a good day. All right, everybody turn to your right, turn to your left, look behind you, look in front of you. There's a good chance that somebody you just looked at is getting wet today. Because in our midst, among you, and some of them, some of them may have just headed to uh, Genesis Kids, there are eight people jumping in the water to get baptized today. So you'll hear more about this at the end, but you got to join us. We're going to Pacific Palisades Boat Ramp. We're, we're going to baptize in the river. Uh, it's amazing. You got to be a part of that. Come join us at the end of our service. Uh, we'll, we'll break down everything. So uh, we'll, we'll do all the stuff here in about... 20, 30 minutes after we're done here, we'll meet there, and it's going to be a hootenanny. Uh, I, I said that to the people being baptized, and I had somebody walk up and say, what's a hootenanny? That's a word that explains itself. It's going to be fun, all right? So uh, come join us there uh, and be a part of that, and it's, it's just going to be great. I, I'm excited about that. Um, I, I've had the privilege over the years as a guy who was in ministry to take a lot of mission trips. And a lot of times when you go on mission trips with people, one of the things you do is you do construction. You build and tear down things. And uh, I'm not very good. I don't know a whole lot about construction. Uh, I could say everything I learned about construction, I learned on a mission trip. Uh, but uh, one of the things I've always been is a big guy. And so when something had to be torn down, they liked giving me things like sledgehammers and, and, and crowbars. And, you know, I've, I've done my fair bit of demolition. And uh, so you go to a place, you're going to do demolition, like it's easy to just start tearing into stuff. And especially what I did is I took teenagers on mission trips, so we'd have teenagers ready to blow stuff up. They just loved taking out all this young aggression on walls. But we'd have to have somebody who knew their way around to look at us and go, now listen, you tear out that wall, you can tear down that part there, don't touch this because that is a load-bearing wall. And if you take out the load-bearing wall, the load it bears is going to come tumbling down, right? And, and that's not going to be fun. Uh, not only are we going to have to rebuild the whole house, but we're going to be taking people to the hospital. Don't mess with the load-bearing walls. Well, uh, in ancient times, uh, the way they would build is they would build things on pillars, on columns, on, on things that held up the house. Like the load-bearing wall of an ancient structure would be a pillar that was built inside. And then they would put all the other stones and they would build those pillars on a foundation that was already laid. And uh, if, if you have been around Christianity long enough, you know there's a lot of passages that tell us there's only one foundation and his name is Jesus. But that there are pillars that are built on the foundation that become the structure that holds up the whole building. And even more beautiful is the fact that in ancient times, often when they would build the pillars on which the house or the structure was built, the temple was built, they would build pillars out of stones, out of structures that they would pull from things that were important in their journey that helped tell the story. So, so for example, there is references to the fact that, you know, the God, God rescued the people and took them across the Jordan River as they entered the promised land and how they went and took rocks from the river and started building pillars. Coupled that with the fact that when God delivered his people, he sent pillars to show his presence. Sent a pillar of fire by day, a pillar of cloud by night to his people in the story of the Exodus, and he led them through pillars. We're starting a series that, is, that we're calling Pillars because we're going to spend just a few weeks here, in the next few weeks, 
talking about the core things upon which this entire church is built. We have, we have several core values. We have a purpose statement. Uh, we have things that are super important to us. But even those things are built on top of these pillars, these things, these structures, these ideas that are foundational to everything we do. And they are uh, the expression of what we hope for every one of you if you decide uh, Genesis is your place or if you've been with us for a while. We hope that, that the idea of these pillars is not just some high in the, the clouds ideas about what we're about. These are the things we hope for you. These foundational things upon which everything else is built. And no matter what else happens, we're not walking away from these. And these will be core to everything we do. And so this is kind of a vision series. It's back to school season. Most of us, uh, our kids went back to school this week. Uh, if you're teachers, you went back to school. There's, uh, no matter what anybody says, when you're in a household that has kids in school or, or a wife who's a teacher, I don't care what they say about January 1st. The end of August is the beginning of a new year. So when everything, like your whole life is built around August, then around to the next summer and getting through the summer, and then we start again. And, you know, you kind of do Christmas and New Year's, you're like, woo, but the, the year, like the way the rhythms of our life work is that year. And as a church, it's kind of our rhythms too. And one of the things that happens that is going to happen over the next few weeks is we're going to be talking about the rhythms that we have in our church. And one of those is the idea of community groups. So, so this series is coinciding with us telling you what we want, and we hope that you will be part of the gathering, us together, and we really hope that if you're going to hang out at Genesis, you will find a community group. You're going to hear a lot about that in the next couple weeks, but th- this is purposeful because these pillars we're talking about, these three pillars upon which everything is built are the pillars of the gospel, community, and mission. That everything we are, those three pillars, is, is undergirding it. And if we're doing anything that, that isn't like built around those pillars, we need to get rid of it and find something else to do. Gospel community mission. Let me explain this. And they go in order. That, that we have one simple message, the gospel. I'm going to spend the whole rest of the sermon explaining what we mean by that. We want to be a gospel-centered church. It's the only message we have. That gospel, though, when we hear the gospel we just sang about, God does a miraculous work. He saves people, but he saves people, individuals, through the gospel into a community, into a people. And, and God, like, if you have embraced the gospel, people who are being baptized today are going to declare, I have been saved by the grace of Jesus because of the cross of Christ. I'm celebrating that. But God does not save us and then just say, all right, here you go. Have at it. He always puts you into a community, a people. And if you're trying to do Christianity alone, what you are doing is not Christianity. I'm telling you, it is not a solo event. It's a team sport. If you don't have a group of people around you that you're walking through faith and life together and you're figuring out what that looks like, your faith is an individualistic faith and the New Testament knows nothing of that. We need a people. And, and I love y'all, but you don't get that in this gathering. You get that when you, when you get down and dirty with a group of people and live faith, do faith in life and grow and, and confess your sin and talk about your struggles and pray over each other and that sort of thing. And so gospel, the gospel always creates a people. That people in the New Testament is the church. But if you really study the Bible, you will see that the church is not a place, it's not an event, it's not a building, it's a people living in community. And then the gospel puts an engine on those people and sends them on a mission. They're to lift their chin and see the world around them as 
a, a group of people who need to hear about Christ, who have brokenness in their lives, who have needs that need to be met, and the church becomes a, a gospel community on mission. And that is what the Bible proclaims that the gospel does and is and what it produces. And these are the foundations, the pillars. So we're going to talk about the gospel this week. We're going to get to next week, we're going to talk about the importance of community, how the gospel forms a people, and that the people of God, the church, is a gospel-shaped people. And then the, the week after that, we're going to talk about how those people are then sent on mission. And, and the third week, we're going to have a, a big celebration of our community groups. We're going to remind you what they are and how we get into them and even invite people to join a group uh, and tell you how you can do that. And then the, the, the second week of September, most of our groups are going to have their kickoff where you are invited to go in any group you want to try that week. So that's, that's what we're doing over the next three weeks, and I hope this will challenge you and speak to you. If you're, if you're visiting today or you're new to us, this is like maybe for the first time hearing, this is who we are. And if you've been around Genesis, we're using language that you've probably heard us say, but it's good to have a reminder every once in a while. And basically, every, every year this year, we do something that reminds us of our core and what we're about. And so today, we're talking about the gospel. We've used that word a lot. The word means good news. We're going to come back to that. But to, to wrestle with this, I'd like you to find a Bible and turn to the book of Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. So if you have a Bible on your app, if you have a Bible uh, in front of you, if you don't have a Bible this morning, there are baskets at the end of several rows that have Bibles in them. We would love you to have one of those Bibles and, and open with us. And uh, in that Bible, uh, we will be, uh, do we know what page we're on in that Bible? Somebody will grab one of those Bibles and help me out and find the page number. And, and oh, it's up there. 1039, 10, page 1039. And if you're new to us and you're just hanging out and you don't have a Bible that is yours, we would love for you to take that Bible. Let that Bible be our gift to you. We know and believe that God speaks through the very words of this Bible, the scriptures, uh, and, and we would love for you to take that and start reading it and interacting with it. This morning, we're going to be in Romans chapter 1, and I'm going to read the first 17 verses. And then we're going to talk about what Paul is saying here. This amazing man who is himself been changed by the power of the gospel and now is giving his life to this. So Romans chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among the nations, including you who are called and belong to Jesus. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you, peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you, always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I want you to know, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far I've been pre prevented in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. 
I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both the wise and to the foolish, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Four, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous will live by his faith. Paul, over and over again in this passage, says that he is, everything he's doing is about the gospel. He starts by saying, listen, I'm an apostle. I've been sent with the apostle of God. Later, he talks about the apostle of his son, Jesus. He looks at them and says, I'm eager to show up and be with you so I may preach the gospel, not just to you, but all these people who live in your city from all these different ethnicities and backgrounds. More than that, Paul, if you study the book of Romans, it's this magnum opus of Paul's ministry, huge book that is actually an explanation of the gospel and the mission of God, massive book, and those stories of preachers who have preached the book of Romans for as many as 14, 15, 16 years. One book of the Bible in that one book because it's so rich with the implications and the beauty of the gospel. He gets to the end of the book. He says, not only do I want to come to you, but he wants the church in Rome to send him to Spain, a place where the gospel, nobody at that point in time had ever heard about Jesus because he wants to go preach the gospel to them. This idea of gospel uh, is a word. And we, we use that word, we throw it around. What is the gospel? We have gospel music. We have, you know, gospel celebrations. We use that word. And often it's just a word that shows up in our vocabulary. What are we talking about? Well, in verses 16 and 17, don't miss this, Paul says this. He makes the declaration. It's actually the purpose statement of this book. He says, listen, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it, this message, is where the power of God all comes together to save people. The gospel matters. What are we talking about when we say the gospel? Because it is our desire that the gospel is our sole message and we're a gospel-centered church. I grew up in churches where uh, we, we did talk about the gospel and I was shared, that, like the gospel was shared to me over and over again in my Sunday school classes, in, in, in church, but the gospel was kind of seen as the ABCs of salvation. Like the story, and by the way, just so I get it out here, we'll talk more about this in a minute. The gospel is the story of Jesus and the good news that it brings to us, that because Jesus came and lived and died and rose again, there is something offered to you that gives us salvation. And Paul says when that gospel is proclaimed, the power of God goes with the proclamation of that gospel to change the lives of people. That's good news. And, and so here's Paul saying this. I, I, I grew up like hearing the gospel. And when I was seven years old, I was at a, a church service where I believed the gospel. I, I trusted in Jesus. A few months later, I got baptized, declaring to the world that the gospel was changing me. Uh, it, it was important. The gospel was there, yet I really grew up in a church where the rhythm of the preaching looked very much like this. And I've been in several churches after this where the pastor would stand up, and for quite a long time, he would proclaim something. He would open the Bible. He would teach us. He would preach to us, and he would give us great advice on how to live. 
we would hear three points on how to be a better husband. Five ways we can have better financial security and be generous. Or, I mean, we would hear this beautiful advice on the way to live our lives, and then the pastor would get to the end of it after kind of giving us a life coach lesson. Let's, let's, let's do better, try harder, let's work, and, and, and we can do this thing called Christianity. And then at the end, he would say something like this. By the way, if you're here this morning and you have not placed your faith in Jesus Christ, let me tell you the gospel. And he would then, at the end, kind of throw a little bit of a curveball. But most of us at a church had learned that for us, it was time to close our Bible and figure out where we were going to lunch. Because I'd been baptized, I'd been saved, I, I'd, I'd had all that happen. I turned and went, here we go, uh, it's time for me to, you know, we're, we're, we're going to, you know, wh- wherever it is, Hardee's for lunch, you know, uh, or I'm going to go hang out with my friends. For me, I could check out. Meanwhile, if you were here and you hadn't trusted in Jesus, we're going to explain the gospel. The gospel is the ABCs to salvation. What's happened in my life is I've come to realize something that Tim Keller, who's one of my favorite authors, was probably the first person I heard to say it. But since then, it's just, I see it everywhere. That Listen, this message, the gospel, is not the ABCs of salvation. It is the A to Z of everything that the Bible is asking and, and, and proclaiming to us. It is the A to Z of all that it means to be a follower of Jesus. And it is every number to infinity. It is all about the gospel. The gospel is not just the message for those who haven't believed the gospel. The gospel is the central message for every single person in this room today because the gospel is a life-transforming message on which to build your life. It is a story that invites you to change your story and embrace that story. Illustrate it like this. Anybody like superheroes out there? Really? Nobody? That's pathetic. Come on, some of you are like, I've seen every Marvel, every movie, like I've seen them all. Like, so, so think about the difference between Iron Man and Spider-Man, all right, for a second. Iron Man has a nice suit. He jumps into the suit. He becomes a superhero. He's worked on his own. He's created this himself and his own genius, his own brilliance. He's got a set, like a a scientific system that he's figured out, and he has this all together. Meanwhile, Spider-Man had a little different different experience, a little different path to become a quote-unquote superhero. In fact, uh, in in, in one of the more recent movies, uh, here, check this out. Watch the screen. There's an image of what I'm talking about. So, so what happens in that, that video, okay? Miles Morales, who is this version of Spider-Man. If you haven't seen these, this is the, the multiverse, uh, the, the animated versions. Uh, Miles Morales is, is just hanging out, and he gets bit by a spider. 
But, but what is taking place in Miles Morales? Like he, Iron Man just has a system that he puts together and works and creates a suit for the system. Miles Morales has an event where he is bitten, and once he is bitten, every fiber of his being is changed down to his DNA. He leaves that as a different, completely different person where everything in his life is now defined by a spider bite. Listen, a lot of us grew up in a church where somebody gave us a set of system of beliefs and a set of propositions said, if you believe this, you'll go to heaven. And we said, okay, I believe that. Check the box. I, I gave mental assent to it. What I want you to understand is that if we really get the gospel, the gospel is a spider bite that changes every fabric of our being. It reaches to the core of everything that I am and everything is transformed by the beauty of the gospel. The gospel is not just the ABCs of salvation. It is everything upon which our lives were created for and formed. And for those of us who have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, the gospel is the core message. It is a redefinition of our story. It is, is a new me living in belief in what something that has been done for me. What do we mean by that? Listen, the gospel at the core is news, not advice. Let's talk about the gospel this morning, this message, and talk about what it means for us to be a, a church that the gospel is a pillar, the pillar upon which everything is built. And so to do that, we've got to uh, talk about three truths about the gospel this morning. Three truths about this gospel. And the first thing we need to answer, the first thing we need to wrestle with is what the gospel is. What is the gospel? When we say the gospel, gospel music, gospel this, gospel that, what are we talking about? What is the gospel? Well, the very word is the word, um, it's a Greek word uh, in, in Paul's text here. As you read this text, Paul uh, uses the word multiple times. It's a Greek word, evangelion, which we get the word like evangelism from. And, and, and this word actually just means good news. The word gospel is an old English word that translates the old Greek word, but gospel just means the announcement of good news. This word was used in ancient cultures, like for example, uh, if you've ever heard the story of the Battle of Marathon, the story, like how we got this 26.1 mile race that if you've ever run one, why? But anyway, that's a different story. Uh, uh, we got that from, the, from this story, from this thing called the Battle of Marathon, where the, the Greeks we're fighting the Persians, and if the Persians overcame the Greeks, they were going to march into the main Greek cities, especially Athens. And Marathon is exactly 26.1 miles away from Athens. And so this battle is going on, and in the battle, the Greeks pushed back the uh, uh, Persians to the sea, defeated them, and this one guy was given the job to run back to Athens, where they were terrified. They, they thought they were going to lose their lives, their livelihoods, their freedom, and, and fall to a foreign empire who was going to make them slaves. Now this guy is charged with running back to Marathon, uh, or back to Athens, and he runs 26.1 miles into the middle of the city. And what the story tells us is that he evangelized. He gospeled. He began to pronounce our armies have won. We are victorious. And even though nobody in that city had fought, they were the victors. They had, had gained the spoils. Their army had defeated their enemy, and they had won. It was the pronouncement of good news. And that good news in the city of Athens changed at that moment the life of everybody. The gospel is the, Paul says, I am come here to announce news to you. I have come here to proclaim news to you, not advice. 
We are not here week after week to teach you how to live. You're not going to hear pastors, preachers get up here with a whole bunch of practical steps on do this or do that. Now, that the gospel will have implications on how we live our lives. But listen, we are here to do one thing. Week after week, day after day, season after season, we are here to point you to the person Jesus Christ and to make much of him. We want to show you his glory, his beauty, his wonder. We want you to lift your eyes and chins and see Christ. And when you see Christ and you understand who he is, what he did for you, and what was accomplished, we believe that that is the most life-changing, transforming thing that could ever happen to you. We are here to make much of Jesus. In fact, uh, William Tyndall, who was like the first guy who ever translated the Bible into English, said this. Uh, the gospel, evangelion, the gospel is a Greek word signifying good, merry, glad, and joyful news that makes a person's heart glad and makes him sing, dance, and leap for joy. I love that. I grew up Baptist. We don't do a lot of leaping. We should do more. The gospel should make our hearts leap and sing. Listen, if you're here and you are a follower of Jesus, it shouldn't be hard to draw music out of your heart when we start singing because we're singing to Jesus and about Jesus. The gospel is something that should make a, where you're like, my life is hard, I'm overwhelmed. I get it, yes. And there is hope for any situation in the gospel. The, the, uh, Ray Ortland, I, I love Ray Ortland. He's a pastor from uh, Nashville, Tennessee. He said, God, through the per- this is what the gospel is, a definition. God, through the perfect life, atoning death, and bodily res- resurrection of Jesus Christ, rescues all his people uh, from the wrath of God into peace with God with a promise of the full restoration of his created order forever. All to the praise of the glory of his grace. What's he saying? He's saying, here's the good news that we have to offer you. Here's the good news that changes everything. Here's the spider bite. That 2,000 years there was a dude named Jesus who as soon as he showed up on earth, angels were singing who he was. That the God of this universe took on flesh and became one of us. And he lived the perfect life that you and I should have lived, but we don't. That, that we are here and all of us share this together. We are failures at this thing called life and we can't get out of, out of our own way. But Jesus lived the perfect life that I should have for me in my place. His teaching, preaching, and miracles were astounding people who got him sideways with both the religious leaders and the, uh, the power of the day, the Roman Empire. And all the people around him thought Jesus had gotten swept up in some political crazy moment that ended up with him being crucified, hung on a cross to die the death of a horrible criminal with unbelievable shame. Yet that event was predicted all through the Old Testament. And he died that day and something cosmic that broke history open happened when Jesus said, it is finished. Because what happened is your sin, your guilt, your struggle, your shame, your, your hurt, your pain was was carried on the shoulders of Jesus who died for you. He took what you and I deserve and he died in your place and then three days later 
he split death, hell, and the grave open because he walked out. And the gospel is something happened. Something crazy happened way back then that alters everything about you and me, that is inviting you into a different story, not a story of your own making, a story that God is telling, that the gospel story becomes your story, that my sin and guilt was dealt with, my failures were paid for, I am no longer living under the aura of shame and guilt, I am rescued, I am redeemed. Look at just what Paul says here, the, the, the things he says in this passage about the gospel. Look at verse 3. Uh, verse uh, two, he talks about verse one. He says, he's set apart for the gospel. Verse two, which was promised beforehand through the prophets and the Holy Scriptures. In other words, Paul is saying, the whole Old Testament is about Jesus and about the gospel. They, they, they promised this day would come, this news. Verse three, concerning his son who descended from David according to the flesh. That's a reference to this whole story in the Old Testament about a king and a kingdom and that, that Jesus was the promised one who would come. Verse four, and he was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. That what happened is that this guy was killed on Friday and Sunday morning, the grave couldn't hold him. He rose again and that resurrection, is, that's not where God said, this is my son. That's not where, that's where the world can see in display that Everything is about Jesus. He is the center of everything. You date your checks declaring that the gospel is the central story of history. It is good news. Something happened there that is good news for you. That good news offers, like the, Paul, this, this letter we call Romans is a massive work. Paul, this guy who traveled all over the ancient world, lived, um, basically he, he, he grew up as a contemporary of Jesus and then for, for about 15 to 30 years after Jesus died and rose again, went from city to city in the ancient Roman Empire, preaching Christ, planting churches, going to places where nobody had heard about Jesus before and proclaiming the gospel. He'd never been to Rome yet and he said, I feel like I'm supposed to come to you. But there was already a church in Rome, a healthy Christian community that was started some other way. And so Paul's saying, I just want to come to you to proclaim the gospel with you so we can keep reaching people in your city. But he also wants to go to places even further west who've never heard about Jesus. And he writes this massive letter. And from, from chapter 1, verse 16 or 17 till the end of chapter, really the end of chapter 15, the whole book is about the gospel. And, and in his work and in other, throughout the rest of Scripture, what you see is these, these images of the gospel. What happened for you? What is, what is good news in the gospel and these images? And, and let me just share four of these images with you that are true because of the story of Jesus, because Christ died and rose again. First of all, we have this image of sacrifice, that I deserve God's justice. I deserve his wrath. I deserve his punishment. I am the rebel who have run away from God, but Christ died as my sacrifice. He died in my place for my sin. That is good news, that no guilt, no failure, no sin can, can keep you from knowing the grace of God. But if you base your life on your own works, you will get what you deserve. But if you look up and see Christ as your sacrifice, you will find forgiveness and a new start and a new beginning. Sacrifice, second, uh, rescue. 
that we are slaves to ourselves, to the world around us, to our sin. But in the death of Jesus, he paid a ransom that bought our freedom. And we are free in Christ. We are slaves no more. We are free to live the life that God made us to live, free in Christ to worship and find our joy in the God who made us. That, that there is ransom for you today. Third, kingdom, that Christ came and the, the cross was actually a throne from which he ruled the world. An upside down kingdom. And he is now the ruling king of the kingdom of God. And either we bow our knee to the king or, or we are under his just rule as enemies. But the gospel says he's a better king than you are of your life. See, what, what I want to do is I want to run my own life, call my own shots, do my own thing. I think if I live my life the way I want to, it's going to go well. But here's what happens. I, just go back. Like in your own mind, if you're like anywhere near my age, go back to when you were 20s, in your 20s and think, if I had my way and lived my life my way, what would have happened? What about in your 30s? What about in your 40s? And the truth of the matter is, we can look at the previous me and go, I, wherever I followed my own path, my life is a disaster. Can I get an amen? He's a better king of your life than you are. And you could find a better benevolent king who loves you, who is for you. And the fourth is, is this theme of adoption, where in Romans 8, Paul says, listen, he loves you so much that God has adopted you when you trust in Jesus that, that it, it brought reconciliation. We used to have a broken relationship with God, but when you believe the gospel, he brings us into a relationship where he calls us sons and daughters. He adopts us into his family. And he says that, that, that if you're a follower of Jesus here, Christ, that the Holy Spirit has put in you a spirit that looks at the God of this universe and calls him Abba, Daddy, Papa. That is that intimate that the God of this universe is our Father. He is our Dad. He, he loves us. He is for us. I mean, just look at this. He died in your place. He set you free. He has, has come to claim ownership and rule, but he is a better king, and he is a gracious, loving Father. That's the gospel. See, what the gospel is, when we say we just say it over and over again, it's not just one simple message, but the message is this. Look to Jesus and hope in him. Understand that he died in your place for your sins, that your hope for any situation in life is rooted in what Christ did that day, not me working harder and doing better. Lift your eyes and see Jesus. Trust and hold on to him. Let's just think about this. Let's talk, look at this college student who's in his like early 20s, and he's away at college, and he's hearing all these messages about worldviews and all this sort of stuff, has his whole life in front of him. What does the gospel have to say to him? And the gospel has to say that, listen, Jesus is a better king of your life than you are. And he will give you, a, a, like he will give you purpose and meaning. Turn to Jesus. Believe the gospel. What about the person who's addicted to porn? who just can't give up. The gospel is a message that says no matter how bad you've been, there's mercy. And because Christ rose again, there is power to overcome. What, what about the person who's been religious all their life and just keeps going to church and believes that they're a good person? The gospel reminds them that your own goodness and works are not enough. 
But, but what about the Christian mom whose kids are struggling in school? The gospel is this deep reminder that there is a God who loves her, a Christ who is for her, that she has hope and her identity is not rooted in how well her children do, but there is hope and resources in the gospel and the community of faith to help her walk through whatever goes on in life. What about the, the man who loses his job, who's a follower of Jesus and thought God had this plan and it didn't work out? There is the reminder that, that no matter who you are, the gospel is, is a better story and that you never walk out from underneath God's sovereign care. That whatever's happening is purposeful in the plan of God. What about the person who goes and gets a cancer diagnosis and says you just have a few weeks to live? The gospel is a reminder that when you believe in Jesus, this ain't it. That this life is just the beginning of a better life. See, the gospel... The gospel is not just the ABCs, it's the answer to every question in our lives. Literally, it's, I, I, I went to church, and, and I remember like this sort of, so when you were, like if you grew up like me in church, and they asked you questions in Sunday school, the answer was always Jesus or the Bible, right? So you got the one kid who's like, um, uh, Sunday school teacher's teaching says, uh, uh, I'm going to describe something to you, and you need to tell me what this is. And she says, it's gray. Nobody raises their hands. It's, it's furry. Nobody raises their hands. It has a bushy tail. Nobody raises their hands. They eat nuts. They live in trees. And finally, little Johnny raises his hand and goes, I think I know the answer. And the teacher goes, Johnny, what's the answer? She, he says, I know the answer is Jesus, but it sure sounds like a squirrel to me. Listen, he's not far from the truth. Whatever you're going through, the solution in life is lifting your eyes to Calvary and seeing a Christ, a God who loves you, who's for you, who died in your place, who rose again, and who has the resources in the resurrection to help you navigate wherever you are in life. That's the offer. That's the news. We're not here to offer you advice. We're here to offer you Jesus. We're here to share good news with you, and we want to make much of Jesus. We want to tell you the good news of Christ. I literally was sitting with a, a, a girl this week in a, a, for a class that I, I teach uh, at Missouri Baptist University. We were talking about um, a place where there's this children's ministry going on, and they were looking at a curriculum, and I just, you know, what to do, and I mentioned the curriculum we use here. We use a curriculum that's called the Gospel Project, okay? If you have kids, let me explain what's going on. Week after week after week, we're going to tell them about a story in the Bible, and we're going to tell them how that story in the Bible points them to the gospel. If they are here 52 weeks, they're going to hear the gospel 52 times from different angles, from different points of view in the scripture, but it is all about Jesus. And so I just raised this question, well, why wouldn't your church use this? And this is what the girl told me. And I wanted, I wanted to cry. She literally said, my church looked at that, but it spends too much time preaching the gospel. hey, let me tell you something here at Genesis. It's all we have. It's all I got here. I'm not your life coach. I'm awful at that. I'll become a prophet. I will tell you how to live your life. And if you don't do it the way I want to, I will tell you, move on. I, I don't care. That's the way Mike rolls. It's not the way Jesus rolls, just so you know. I, I, like I'm way high profit scale. 
My compassion gifts are in the, the negative, okay? But, but Jesus loves you. He's for, the gospel is everything. It's the only message we have. But the gospel speaks to everything that you need. No matter where you're at, what you're struggling with, whether you've trusted in Jesus or not, the gospel is an offer. And our response to the gospel is to look to Jesus, to believe, not just to believe a set of facts, but to believe by saying, my life is yours, and to repent and believe the gospel. In fact, the first message in the New Testament, Jesus and John the Baptist, these first two guys who are proclaiming Say this, the gospel is here. Repent and believe the gospel. That is the answer. That is our response to everything in our life. That we have created our own path, our own self-salvation experiment. We need to turn from the path I'm walking on and run to Jesus. Because he loves us, he is for us, he's there. That's what the gospel is. Christ is enough. Run to him and give him your life. If you're a follower of Jesus, anywhere you're building your life on you, repent and believe the gospel. Immerse yourself in Jesus. You may be a new Christian like Miles Morales where it's just a spider bite and you don't know what's going on, but realize that if it's really the gospel in you, it's changing the core of who you are and retelling your story with a different narrative. And the gospel never gets old. I watched my dad die a little over, or almost a year ago. And I could see in his eyes anytime we were talking about Jesus, how his eyes as an 80-year-old man would fill with tears about the Jesus who saved him when he was five years old and kept saving him the rest of his life. It never, ever gets old. And you're never gonna get to, it, it's, it's an infinite well of glory and grace. This is what the gospel is. Second question, what, what the gospel does. In verse 5, he just says, he, he says, here's the gospel. It's promised before. It's, it's, it's about Jesus. He says, verse 5, through whom we have received grace. Every relationship you and I have is based on our performance. Uh, every relationship that you and I have in the world is based on some level where your identity is rooted to what you do and who you are. Okay, those of you who started school this week, you know that all well, right? If I don't do well in school, I'm gonna get these grades. If I do well in school, I'll get these grades. If I really work hard, I might be able to get these grades. But there's always a kid around you who's a little better, who's a little smarter, and so all of a sudden it's a scale and I fit here and I'm not here. And you know, on, in these classes, I, I'm the smartest in the class, in these classes I'm not. Like, it's a performance-based world. Most of us on some level grew up in families where you felt like your family was performance-based. Your sense of identity Worth, value was how good a kid you were. And some of you, your response to that was to be the really good kid who kept all the rules. You were a rule keeper, right? Some of us went to the rules because we weren't gonna let our identity be based on that. We became the rule breaker. And then you spent the first 18 years of your life butting heads with your parents and feeling like their whole value, like, you know, I wish you'd be more like this person, your older brother, older son, like your whole life was kind of rooted in that. And here we are. And, and like everywhere we go, then you get a job. And guess what? Your job is rooted in how you perform. And what happens is that you start going to churches and you start believing that with God, my identity and my value is rooted in my performance. And so you start going to church and what you start thinking is that the church is telling you if you're a good person, if you pray the right prayers, if you do the right stuff, if, if, if like that's how God loves you. God loves you because you're a good person. 
And here's Paul saying, the gospel brings grace. What is grace? Grace is the fact that God, when he sees you, doesn't look at your performance at all. When God sees you, he sees you through the lens of his son who was perfect and sees you as loved. He pours mercy. He gives you everything you don't deserve, and he pours grace, giving you all the things that you don't deserve. I mean, he gives you uh, mercy, which is not giving you what you do, do deserve. I deserve his justice, and pours grace, giving me all his gifts. And grace says, your identity has nothing to do with your performance. In other words, the gospel, religion says this. If I obey, then I will be accepted. If I, if, if I go to church, say my prayers, if I do the sacraments, whatever it is, like every religion is looking at you saying, here's the list, keep the list, you'll be okay. Religion says your identity is based on your performance. If I obey, then I'm accepted. The gospel says this. You are accepted and loved because of Jesus. You already are accepted and loved because of Jesus. Doesn't that make you want to honor him and obey? But your identity as a Christian is grace-based. It is a transforming identity. Uh, In verse 7, Paul uses three adjectives to describe this early church. He says to the church of Rome, he says, first of all, you are loved. That's settled. Christ loves you. How do I know that God loves me? Because of the cross of Jesus, right? Do you ever have days where you feel like nobody loves me? I just feel like I'm worthless. I have nothing. Listen, what you need is to preach the gospel to yourself, to lift your eyes and see Calvary, where the God of this universe declared eternally his loves you. Like God is saying in this story, I love you. That is settled. I am for you. Christ died for you. You are worth it. You're loved. That is settled. It also tells us that you are called, that God has literally pointed us and pulled us to himself and said, I I have a better life and a purpose for your life that is bigger than what you have for yourself. And he tells them that you are saints. Like if a lot of us grew up in tradition where saints were the super holy guys who the church said, we call you saints. But do you realize in the New Testament that anybody who believes in Jesus, who trusts in Christ, who finds their hope in him is called a saint, a holy one? That you, now think about this. If you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus, on one level, yes, you are still a sinner who needs grace, but as far as God sees you, you are a holy one, you're a saint. And that is because of the gospel. The gospel truly gets you. You'll begin to see who you are through the lenses of grace, not performance. Now, I I know a lot of me are, are... a lot of us are still going, well, wait a minute, I, I, I don't deserve this. That's the point. That's why the gospel is so beautiful. And some, of, some of you have been in religious systems where there were people who approached the religion. They were better than you at keeping the religion. Therefore, they made you feel like they were better than you at the way they saw themselves. All grace can do in me is create humility. I'm Listen, God has called me to this. I'm not better than you. I need Jesus every bit as much as you do. But I found him sweet and beautiful. Grace. That, that, 
My relationship with God is based on grace. Therefore, my relationship with you has to be based on grace. I have to understand that uh, grace permeates. Like, if you're struggling with your sin, I gotta be patient with you. If you mistreat me and wrong me, I mistreated and wronged the Son of God and he still died and accepted me. I have to be gracious with you. I have to be humble. I have to be patient. That's what the gospel's going to do in us. So we have what the gospel is, the death life and this good news of Jesus. We have what the gospel does. It, it pours grace into our, the very fiber of our being and reshapes our lives around this grace. Third thing I want to tell you briefly is uh, what the gospel creates. And look at verse 5. In verse 5, Paul says uh, that this gospel through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome. Now, what Paul is doing is he is now looking at this church, this community of faith in Rome. And what he's saying is, here's what the gospel did. It saved you individually, but it saved you into a community. And now he's addressing them all saying, because of the gospel, you're the community who wants to live and obey and follow Jesus. You are a community of faith in Rome, in that city, that what the gospel creates, what the gospel forms, what the gospel shapes is a community of people who love Jesus together, who are the, the, the people of Jesus Christ. It is a community of faith that is gospel shaped. That's what the church is. The church is not a building. I'm excited that we're building, but, but we're, we're not building a church. We're building a building. The church is a people who have met Christ and who are being shaped, and then we become a community of faith that is a gospel-shaped community. That's what the gospel does. It saves you as an individual. It saves you into a people, and the community of faith is where you find grace. It's where you find support. It's where you find gospel resources. It's where people teach you the Bible. It's where people help you understand what it looks like to repent. It's where people lay their hands on you in your darkest moments, and they pray over you. The gospel creates a people. And then what God does, he goes on in the next few verses to say, Hey, church at Rome, let me tell you what's going on. I've been going around Asia Minor. In other words, Paul says, I've been hanging out in Turkey. And people there in Turkey know about your faith. They know about this church. They know about your resiliency. There are people who are coming to believe in Jesus in Turkey because of what the gospel is doing in your city. What's he saying? Here's what happens is that the gospel is this good news and we lift our chin and now we have a different story. We're spider-bitten, we're transformed, we're drawn to this community of faith and all of a sudden the community of faith together begins to glow. It begins to look like Jesus. It begins to be transformed as a community of faith and all of a sudden the world around begins to go, man, something's going on there that's different, that, that's changed and the gospel in the lives of his people becomes drawing because his people are being transformed by the gospel as a community. The gospel creates that. This is why the gospel is a pillar. It is the preaching of the gospel. When I say preaching, I'm not just talking about me on the stage. I'm talking about this gospel-centered, everything we are, this proclamation of this gospel that creates a people. And those people then begin to love their city like Jesus does and begins to love the world, begins to send out chaplains like we heard, right? We are all about the gospel. And therefore, we want to be a gospel-centered, gospel-rich, all-about-the-gospel people. This is who we are. It's our one message. It's all we got. And we're going to make much of Jesus, no matter where we go and what we do. And so we want to invite you. Will you come along for the ride? 
If you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus, here's, here's your response. Repent and believe the gospel. In other words, turn from whatever it is you're doing and the struggles that you have where you're trying to believe in your own resources and run to Jesus, hold on to him, trust in him. And some of you are here and, and you're like, I, I, this is different. I, I don't know what to make of this. I, I just want to offer you Jesus this morning. I, I, I just want to say to everybody in this room, that if you come here with the weight of your own struggle, the weight of your own sin, your own failures, if you come here today not knowing what to do with your life, if you come here with seeking answers, we want to offer you Jesus. When I was seven years old, Christ changed my life. But I know a lot of people in this room where, where that, that spider bite happened when they were in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 60s. And they will tell you that Jesus is enough. And so the band's are going to come forward. But the band's going to come forward just for a second. I'm going to do something I don't normally do at Genesis. I'm going to ask everybody in here just to kind of bow your head and close your eyes. And just for a moment, have your moment with Christ today, okay? And if you're a follower of Jesus, just right where you're at, give thanks and run back to Jesus. We're going to sing to him in just a minute. But if you're here today, and maybe you come from a religious background where you grew up in church, you grew up doing all the religious things, and, but your identity is built on how, that you're a good person, or maybe you come here today and you come from a more like, nope, bucking the rules and ran away from religion. But if you're here today and you've never actually believed the gospel for the first time, this is your chance just where you're at, right where you're at for a moment. Just pray a prayer. When I was seven, I mean, a prayer is just a prayer. A prayer, nothing magic in a prayer, but when a prayer confesses belief in Christ coming from a heart that's being moved by the Holy Spirit, it's life-changing. And, and so just where you're at today, as I pray here in just a minute, will you pray, pray a prayer just go something like this? Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I need to be rescued and redeemed but I know that you died on the cross in my place for my sins. So save me and rescue me today, Lord. Come into my life. Be my king. I give my life to you. Please save me. And if you're here today and you've never had this sort of experience where you've trusted in Jesus for the first time, where you've never turned from yourself and believed the gospel for the first time, let this be the day. Let this be the day. And so for about... 30 seconds here. I'm going to walk off the stage and let our posture of prayer for a minute be our prayer. You, you run to Jesus this morning, wherever you're at. But if you need, like if you've never trusted him, use this as a moment to do that. And then Eric's going to come up here and we're going to start singing. And we're going to sing as people who really believe this stuff. And we're going to celebrate Jesus. We're going to take up, up an offering. If you're a guest with us, that offering's not for you. It's our way, people from our church, a way of giving back. Spend the next couple minutes, or next 30 seconds to a minute, just having a conversation with Jesus and believe the gospel. If, if then, if you trusted in Jesus for the first time today, we would love to have a conversation with you. I'll be in the back at the end. Or if you're here today and you have, like, you have prayer needs or you have questions, anything, we'll have a group of people up here to my left, to your right, who are um, behind the screen here, who are ready to meet with you and pray with you. 
Go meet with them. Talk to them. They're there to, to just be of service and love on you and pray with you, whatever you need today. You can do that during the, the second song here at the end of the service. You do that, all right? All right, spend a second and pray and just lift up your needs. And if you need to believe in Jesus, just invite him to save you this morning.